just, I, I'm going to tell you exactly what my agenda is because I do have one this morning. And that is that my hope is to see 100% of people that call Kingsway their home, that 100% of those people would find themselves connected to a small group. That's just right out there. Uh, and for some of you, you're like, oh man, I don't want to hear another thing. How can I sneak out? I, you know, I'm, I'm not into this small groups thing. Uh, but I want to I wanna just, I, I'm not, obviously we can't force anything to happen. And there are a number of people connected to small groups in this, in this um, um, uh, family. And it's been amazing to watch your life grow as a result. So I just want to share a little bit about it with you. And maybe it's your year. You know, maybe it's the year, this is the year you feel like, yes, I need to, I need to get connected to a small group. Uh, and maybe it's like, you know what, I don't know if it's this year. I just want to put it out there and see, uh, see what happens from here. So just a couple thoughts. There are, there are lots of things that you can't do alone. I don't know if you realize that. I went water skiing a couple, uh, couple weeks ago. This is me water skiing at night. It was pretty awesome. Uh, Beth took this picture. Uh, okay, it's not me. But this isn't me either. Um, this is more like my water skiing uh, experience. But you can't, you can't water ski alone. You know, you need somebody driving the boat. You need somebody who's spotting. And you need those adoring fans, also known as my children, just cheering you on. Yay, Dad. Uh, you know, that was a couple of weeks ago, and I still feel it like it was yesterday. Uh, man, that's hard on the body. But it's one of those things you shouldn't do alone, or you can't actually do alone. Uh, then there's things you shouldn't do alone, like scuba diving. And, you know, if you go scuba diving, I used to have my license to do that. Uh, th- there's always people with you who can ask you this question. You okay? You okay? And they, obviously, they can't take their thing out and talk to you, or they drown, but they give you that sign, okay? And you respond with, I'm okay, or I die, right? And they come and rescue you and bring you to the top and put you in the, um, the, the chamber and, and bring you back to life. So the, um, the, but the idea is, you know, they tell you never, never go out alone. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the race of faith and how you're running a race of faith. And there's a crowd of witnesses around you watching that, that race of faith. But the race of faith is something we're not to be doing alone either. And so we talked about this crowd of witnesses last time, just kind of as a side note. They're the people kind of watching you run your race. But I want to talk about it from the other side this morning. And what's it like to be a witness of other people running their race of faith? And what does it mean to have that crowd of witnesses around us, that crowd of spectators? And what I want to challenge you is the thought is that this is not it. You know, the crowd, being part of the crowd, doesn't mean kind of sitting here in, on, a, on a Sunday morning and watching Mark do what he does. That's not being a part of the crowd. Because we know, statistics will tell us that in this crowd of people, there are a number of you that just feel completely alone. You're surrounded by people, but you feel alone. There's loneliness. Is, uh, it's an epidemic in our, in our culture. Even though we have everything around us to connect us, there's this idea of being alone. So this idea of running a race of faith is more than just rows. More than just sitting in rows. And I got a few thoughts I want to share with you. Tried to rhyme them, so hopefully you remember them. If, you, if you're not good at remembering things, grab one of these little note cards and just jot some of these things down. But here's a couple thoughts. You know, just take a look down your row. The people in your row. This is, what, this is what we're talking about. The people in your row. So, yeah. So here's a couple of thoughts. Number one, you don't grow in the row. You don't grow in the row. Uh, or if you do, you grow slow. Because the idea of sitting in a row and listening to me talk, there might be the one moment that's like, oh, that was a light bulb moment. I never knew that before. And you just got a little bit spiritually smarter. But that was kind of it. I've had it happen after services. People come up to me and say, Mark, that was just for me. And if I ask you a week later, hey, how about, you know, what was, how, how did it go in your life this week with that? And you're like, what? Well, what are you talking about? You know, it's like, remember last week? You know, what was your favorite point of last week's service? There was a service last week? Was I there? I, I don't, oh yeah, I remember the funny picture of the water skiing guy. Yeah, yeah, I have no idea what the rest of it was. Because you don't grow 
in the, in the row. It's not meant for that. You don't have the chance to ask the burning questions that are in your heart like, hey, wait a second, just want to stop because I don't understand. We don't, we don't do that in the row. You don't grow in the row. Number two is you don't know the row. You don't know the row. Take a look down your row. You, you really don't know what's going on in the lives of those people. You're like, well, I'm married to them. Doesn't even matter then. You don't know. You don't fully know what's going on in, in your row. And, and yet there's a part of us that really wants to be known. There's a part of us that wants to be authentic and be genuine and say, hey, you know what? You guys look like you got it all together, but I, I just, I'm really struggling. And you know, the, that, that every once in a while, someone in a row will do that. They'll stand up and they'll be like, you know, asking, say, so how has everybody got anything to share? And they stand up and their husband sent me sign. I'm like, yeah, things are terrible in our marriage. It's been terrible for 17 years. And, and everybody else is like in their rows like, ooh, I don't want to hear this. Get me out of here. This is awkward, right? And yet there's that, that part of a person that wants to be known and wants that stuff to be out. But they don't know, they don't know where or, or how to, um, to share that or better. They don't know where to share that because it doesn't really work in the row. We wouldn't go around and just have everybody share their, their, um, their life secrets. It just doesn't work in the row. Because, uh, you know, you don't grow in the row, you don't know in the row, and there's often a lot of show in the row. If you're looking down the row and you see they dressed up nice, you know, you see they've got deodorant on today, that's not always the case. You know, but when people come to church, I, I, it might not be the case today, actually, but when you, co- you, know, when you go, to, go to church and sit in a row, oftentimes you have no idea what happened before that. You know, that family's on the way, they're fighting in the minivan, they get to the parking lot, and all of a sudden something changes. Come in, smile. We're a happy family. We got it all together. Uh, You know, and uh, husbands and wives, you know, marriage in shambles, and then they come into church, and they sit there, and they put their arm around their spouse, you know, and you can see, you know, she's cringing inside, but you don't know that. You think, wow, they're so in love, and they're smiling. Some of you came financially, you're in just a terrible mess. But you grab an empty envelope and you put it in the offering. Make sure everybody can see, you know. It's, you know, I don't want anybody else to know that I'm in trouble. And you smile. And for some of you, you're sitting here this morning and you're not even sure what you believe about God. You're like here, but your journey, maybe you're a teenager and you've gone through some troubles, troublesome stuff. Maybe your parents have recently divorced. Maybe, maybe you just started going to university and you're like, man, they, they ask these questions that I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't have answers for this. I, I don't really know about God. And you feel your faith drifting. You're like, I, I just don't really know. But you sit here in the, in, the, in the row and you smile and nod. Hopefully nobody else knows that I don't believe a thing this guy's saying. <laughs> because in the row, there's something that, that's missing in the row. And you know what? It's not that you're fake. It's not that you're fake. And that's not what we're saying this morning. It's just that the row isn't designed for that. You know, and some have decided that, well, if the row isn't for that, let's throw out the row altogether. Let's just forget about church. I'm going to freestyle church. You know, I don't need people. I don't need the church. I don't need service. I don't need any of that. I just love Jesus. I just hate all of his followers. You know, I just want to do this all on my own. And there's all kinds of books out there that are making lots of money because of that. But can I tell you something? There are some benefits of being in the row. There's the benefits of being together and hearing some of the encouragement. And this morning, if you're here, you may not have heard this message if you weren't sitting in a row. That challenge to be intentional about doing something would probably not have happened if you weren't in a row at some point. But Jesus' design for the church wasn't to fly solo in the row. Wasn't just to be that one kind of island in a crowd, that one person in a row of people feeling like, well, I'm part of a big group, and yet you're so alone. It was never his idea. It was something different. Acts chapter 2 
Uh, it's, uh, you know, studying Acts this year uh, as a church. There's a Bible study that we're starting, studying Acts. You're going to come across a couple of these verses uh, just about the early church. And it said this in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord uh, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. It says they, uh, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. You notice a couple things. I put them in yellow just so it would help you notice them. Daily and from house to house. They did things. And then in Acts chapter 5, verse 42, it says this. And daily... In the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. This idea of something daily, connected, house to house, together, teaching. His early followers lived that kind of life, this life of being together. And for us in our culture, we just kind of like, that's way too much, Mark. I can't like be, I can't do church every day. I have a job, you know, I have a mortgage to pay. Uh, You know, it's these thoughts of, I have stuff to do. It's like maybe that was cultural for them. You know, everybody lived in their in-law's house until they could afford to move out. And so it was like, they were always together anyways. And I agree, there's parts of our lives that just don't allow for that type of connection. And so for some, you just write it off and say, man, I can't do it. If I can't do it all, I can't do any. And yet you miss out on that, that real connection with people is, is what Jesus was talking about. That idea of building the church wasn't sermons and services, but it was building that connection of lives, of a family, of a group who, do, who were doing life and following him together. And in Hebrews, which we already heard about today, Hebrews, uh, that, that race of faith and having faith uh, and trusting God. If you come to God, you've got to come with faith. For some, that faith drifts. And Jesus had said to, the, to his followers, I want you guys to stay together. And it's interesting, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but what we do know is that the person who wrote it was either famous enough or what he wrote was so important that they made thousands of copies of this document. And after about, you know, this is about 50 years after Jesus went back to heaven that this, this was first written. And this letter uh, to, these, to these Hebrew people who were followers of Jesus, they were probably second generation. So it's like they hadn't seen Jesus. They just simply believed in him because of what they had been told, which is very similar to, to, to all of us. Anybody seen Jesus? I'll just give you the mic and we'll go from there. We haven't seen Jesus, right? And we haven't seen him physically. It's not that, it's that way. But we trust and we believe and our faith is based on, on the words that have been spoken and the experiences we've had with the Lord. But it's not what we've seen him physically. And this same group, found, they, they found themselves in that same spot. About 393 years later, this letter was added to what we know as the New Testament. But back then, it was just a letter. And so this letter to this generation, this next generation of believers, had some thoughts in it. And some of them are are these. Hebrews chapter 3. The chapters are there just so you can find it quicker. But it said this. As the writer wrote to them, he said, be careful. That word be careful is like get your eyes open. Be aware of what's going on. He says, "Be, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. He's saying in and amongst you guys, have your eyes open to those around you. To, maybe it's you, but maybe it's those around you who's, who, who are turning away um, from, from the living God. And he says, then you must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and, and, the, um, and hardened against God. For if we're faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we'll share in all that belongs to Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, a few chapters later, he writes the same things. He comes back to it and he says, let us hold tightly without wavering. Hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And in those words, 
You know, there's some thoughts. There's that one, you know, don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. Don't stop hanging out together as groups. And for some, you know, pastors have used that and said, hey, you need to be at church. You need to show up, preferably with your wallet. You know, you need to be here. And it totally misses the whole point of what he was saying. He's like, don't neglect that connecting with one another so that without the connection of actually being connected with one another, you can't do any of the other things. You're not aware of where people's faith is at this morning. You know, you can look. I just want you to take a look at the person next to you. I know you guys hate when I do this. I'm sorry. But it's just one of those things. Take a look and look deeply in their eyes. And can you tell by looking deeply in their eyes if they're, for those of you who aren't, I will. You know, if you say, you know, if, if their faith is wavering. Like, you don't look in their eyes and see, like, a little reflection of a little Satan with two little horns. You'd be like, oh, yeah, their faith must be wavering. You know, I, I see something. We don't, we, don't, we don't have that. You know, we can't tell. We can't tell in the row if the person beside us is strong in their faith or if they're wavering. And so this writer to them and to us says, open your eyes and pay attention to those who are around you to, to, to see if their hearts are wavering or, or turning away. You know, we can't tell uh, the, the, this idea of if people are drifting just by sitting beside them on a Sunday morning. We, we can't tell. And yet the writer says it's important that you know. Well, as we look, we, there, there are ways that we can uh, know and find out as if we're, we're doing things together. You know, this idea of, um, uh, of drifting, we did a whole series on it. Because drifting starts kind of within and it's not planned. It's just simply we drift away from all stuff that's good for us. You know, if you're on a diet, you drift away from that. Nobody ever drifted into a good diet. Nobody ever drifted into a good marriage or a good relationship with somebody. You drift away from that. Nobody ever drifted in their budget positively. Nobody ever drifts into like, wow, I can't believe I have so much money. It's always like, how did we spend that much? It's that simple thing of drifting away from all things that are important. He says, you know what, you're prone to drift. So keep an eye out for those around you. And the, the thing is, we can drift in our faith and it has eternal consequences that he talks about in the rest of Hebrews. It says, it's a big deal. Pay attention to those who are around you. You're a spectator of them. Are they drifting? And so it's these words that I want to challenge you with this morning. It's these four words. Are you okay, really? Are you okay, really? And those are scary words for some. You know, part of it's because we're Canadian. And we've, we've got this thing down to a science. We see somebody say, like, hey, how are you? And they answer, fine or good and so then we feel like I feel good because I asked they answered we're good <laughs> but guess what chances are they're not good you know I met a, a friend of mine I haven't hung out with him in years and uh, we were actually part of his wedding and we connected after a number of years and as we were just hanging out and chatting uh, I just uh, out of the blue I just asked him I said so um, how, how's your marriage and we were just you know hanging out and all of a sudden he looked at me like with that face of like what and what he said just kind of sticks with me. He says, you know what? Nobody's asked me that in like four years. Could have said good. But he said, to be honest, I wish somebody had asked me in the last four years. I almost lost my marriage and didn't even realize it was happening. And in those four years, didn't have people around him to say, you know, hey, how are you doing really? Are you okay Really? So then I asked his wife after, I wanted to see, you know, you know, what was her perspective? And so I asked her, I was like, hey, so how's your marriage? And she's like, I almost left him. There was times right there where I was on my way out. She said, but you know what? I had people around me who were supporting me through those times, and we're still here together because of it. It's like, 
powerful. Even in marriages where even one person has somebody around them asking and encouraging them. You know, those are scary words for us. How are you doing really? Because you know what? We really don't want to know the answer. And you know why we don't want to know the answer? Because we don't know what to do if they tell us the truth. How are you doing really? And then the, the thought is like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm not a marriage counselor. I don't know what to tell them. You know, if they're like, yeah, well, you know, I'm addicted to this. Oh, I'm not an addictions counselor. You know, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not a pastor. Uh, I don't really want to know. Let Mark ask them how they're really doing. I don't know what to do. But you know what? Can I tell you this? You're never the answer. You are never the answer. You're simply the question. You're never meant to be the answer. And with this part in Hebrews, you're saying this same idea. It's just that simple thing of, of simply asking that question. Are you okay, really? Because what he says is, if your eyes are open, you realize that people are wavering and turning away from the living God. The question doesn't bring them back to being like, if you ask them, hey, are you doing okay, really? That now they're focused on you. The idea of the question is that if they're drifting away from God, that they're going to be turned and put their eyes on him again. Because we know the cliche saying is that Jesus is the answer, but Jesus is really the answer. There's power in the name of Jesus. There is life in the words of Jesus. And as they get back to that, they will and can experience that in their life. But we have so much fear of asking those four words. Anybody afraid sometimes of asking that question, are you okay, really? They don't want to raise their hands even some, you know. But, but you know, I thought four words is a little difficult for some. So I thought, what if we just put it in four letters? What four letters? Can you handle four letters? How about those? Are you okay? And for you, some of you, like, I can't even do that. Well, there's a text that you can send to each other, thanks to Apple now, that just gives you simple, send them this emoji and with a question mark. Are you okay? Are you okay? And I know what's coming, because I know some of you, you guys think you're super funny, and you think, yeah, this is like, a, this is like nobody's thought of this before. I'm going to go up to him right after the service and be like, I'm going to ask him, are you okay? Some of you are texting me right now. I know how you think, you know, but you really don't want to know. You really don't want to, and you know what? Guess what? I'm probably not going to tell you, because those kind of conversations don't happen in the rows. They don't. The way they happen, and it's so often in smaller things. I've had it so many times where I'll have guys come and sit on my, sit on my couch. And it's, it's usually guys, if women call me and say, I have something really difficult to talk to you about. I'm like, call my mother-in-law. She's a good listener. You know, but, but if it's guys, they come and sit on my couch, and they'll say things like, I've, I've wanted to tell somebody this for a really long time. Really long time. And they say things like, nobody else knows about this. So for a really long time, nobody else has been uh, a part of this thing. And they'll sit there and it takes forever to get to the point. And eventually they come to that spot where I'm saying, like, I've, I, I, I've bankrupted us. Or I have an alcohol addiction. Or I struggle with porn. And they get to that place and they finally let that thing out that they've been wanting to do for so long. And you know what's really interesting as we begin to talk about it? The thought is that that's going to be the worst possible moment of their lives. And yet every single time, it's like after it's all over, it's like, I can breathe. I didn't catch on fire in his office. You know, I can't believe it. You know, we're like, wow, wow, that weight feels lifted. And there's something so powerful about that moment. And yet it's not supposed to be so far in between and running this race all on your own. The writer said to them, keep an eye out so that you can see and know. And it says, you know what, warn each other so that you won't be deceived by sin and hardened against God. That idea of being deceived is that you think something is one way when it's actually not. And the truth about our lives is we have blind spots. 
I used to drive truck, and when you drive truck, you know you have blind spots. So you, when you're driving along, you have these other mirrors that you check to make sure before you pull into another lane. You're checking multiple mirrors to make sure there's nobody in your blind spot. Do you know what? People have blind spots, and we just don't have the mirrors to check them. But actually, those mirrors to check our blind spots are sitting all around us because they can see what we can't see. They see the stuff that's going on behind us. You know, it's just like that question for the scuba diver, you know, asking him, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay, I'm fine. You know, when actually right behind him, he's about to get eaten. And we, we see this in our, in our lives as people. You know, I don't know if you've seen this, but we talk ourselves into really bad ideas. And every once in a while, someone's there to take a picture of it. Because this guy, for instance, thought this was a really good idea. Somehow he talked himself into, I could probably paint that last little bit by standing on these doors. Or this thought, you know, where these guys thought, this is a good way to move a couch. And, you know, there's blood on the carpet as a result. But what was it? Something, they talked themselves into something before they did this. This week, if you read the news, there was a, a, a couple in Saskatchewan who have just been sentenced to prison time because they planned to kill their spouses so that they could spend time together, and they had it all planned out. Why not just leave them? <laughs> Why kill them? But you know what? They, uh, don't answer that. If you don't, I don't want to know. <laughs> but but there's, this, there's these thoughts, right, where people... Where, where people talk themselves into something. That, and if, they, if these people had had anybody around them and they said, hey, you know, they said, hey, I'm thinking of killing my spouse and running off with so-and-so, they would have probably said what? No, you're crazy, right? They would, have, they would be like, you're crazy. Now, here's my question. What are the things, the one thing right now that you're telling yourself in your head that if you actually told another human being, they would say, you're crazy. You're crazy. Do you know what? You have that where you see it happening around people. You know, like I hear people like, I started dating this girl. She's not a believer, but I just feel God's in it. I'm like, you're crazy. You know, I have people saying, you know what? I really deserve to buy that new house. I can't afford my mortgage now, but I deserve it because I've worked really hard trying to pay the mortgage I can't pay, but I deserve to have a nice house or a nice car or something else I can't afford. And I look at them, I'm like, you're crazy. For some, you know, it's like, it's like what is that thought on the inside that says, hey, I can handle this or I can't or whatever? That if you told somebody else, they'd be like, you're crazy. See, because a great protection for us is those people all around us that help us not to waver. Solomon in Proverbs talks about how he watches this guy on the way, uh, hanging out at the driveway of a prostitute's house at twilight. I was to be listening to some prostitute. What? Uh, that's in the Bible? Yeah. Solomon's talking about this guy, and he's hanging around at the driveway of the prostitute's house at twilight. And he says, you know what? By deep darkness, he's still there. He said, this guy is the fool of all fools. And Solomon sits there watching him long enough. He writes about it. Instead of going down and telling him, hey, buddy, this is a bad idea, he's just like, oh, I'll see what happens. And I'll write about it. I'm glad he did because we get to see it and read it. But he says, you know, as I watch this guy, he's like, he, he goes, and sure enough, the prostitute comes out of her house and says, my husband's gone for a long time. Come on in. And, and so he says, I watch him go into that to place. And he says, I watch the end where he didn't realize that it was going to cost him his life that night. And for so many of us, we have people that we see around us, that we watch and we see, and we see these things going on in our lives. We have things going on in our lives. We've talked ourselves into some really stupid things, but we don't have anybody around us who's actually going to top us on the shoulder and say, hey, I think it's a pretty bad idea. Part of it is because we don't want our life to be under a microscope. We don't really want it. But if you focus on small things, those small things don't become big things. I have this little cotter pin that I bought this week. It's really small. It cost me $1 but I wish I'd bought this cotter pin one year ago 
because my kids have one of those little gators that they can drive around with a battery. And I was like, ah, oh, the battery doesn't stay in very well. And the battery fell out. And I was like, oh, I guess I've got to replace the battery. I'll go find one for $20. Do you realize that the battery costs 150 bucks? $1 would have saved me 150 And, you know, in, in, in other areas of our life, we want it. You know, when you go to the dentist, you're like, man, I wish that he had seen the weakness in my tooth before it's a full-blown cavity. When it's cancer, you're like, wow, man, I wish my doctor had seen it when it was tiny rather than now that it's huge. You know, I wish that in my marriage, I wish that people had seen my small fights and said something because now I'm on the verge of divorce. I wish that people had seen financially when I was a few hundred dollars in debt and said, hey, you can't keep going down this path. And now I'm so far in debt, I don't even know which way is up anymore. Or parenting saying, you know, I wish somebody had seen me when I was so hard on my kids and and had said something because now they won't talk to me. And we wish in all those areas, what about in faith, that I wish that somebody had seen when I was drifting away in my faith, that I was asking questions and I was drifting away and that they had said something. See, but we don't do that and we can't do that in the, in the rows. And the longer you drift, it says it's like hardening. Do you know concrete never gets hard as long as someone else is stirring it? And we need those people stirring in our lives sometimes so that our hearts don't get hardened against the Lord. Last thought, none of that stuff works in rows. None of it works just by being here. And we know that to be true. Because most of the time, you're not close enough to actually tell them. And even if you do notice it, and you're perceptive. If you're not actually in a group or a circle with somebody, you don't have the right to tell them. Because you know what it feels like? It feels like this lady. It feels like church lady who's like, I noticed there's a little bit of sin in your life. You know, I saw your bra strap. You must have a spirit of adultery on your life, you know, sitting there in church. You know, I saw, I saw as you got out of your, cha- out of your car, this little something, something fell out of the car. And I'm pretty sure that that is, uh, you know, you might have a drug addiction, you know. And, and you know what? Nobody, nobody feels like empowered. Nobody feels loved. What do they always feel? Judged. See, and he says, I want you to do it in love, but you can't do it in love when you're stuck in the row. The whole idea is he said, I'm calling you guys to be a part. Oh, don't get distracted. Try to be a part of the group so that you can know. And guess what? Here's where it comes down to. Only you can invite people into that place where they can see your blind spot. Only you get to invite them into that place. That doesn't just happen. It says intentionally becoming part of a group of people so that they can see into me, I can see uh, into them, that we're building this relationship, building trust. It's not like you go to a small group and just bare your soul to everyone. The idea of a small group is that you build relationships so that they can see that when you're missing church 50 times, they're calling you like, hey, where are you? You okay? Are you okay? Really? For some of you, you're doing really good right now. You don't need a group. You don't want a group. You don't have time for a group. You're like, my marriage is fine. My life's fine. I feel, uh, everything's fine. But I want to encourage you to build the group around you now that you may need in the future. Because how many of us would say, you know, I wish that I had had somebody around there when my marriage was struggling. For those who are saying, I wish I had people around me in my teen years when my parents were going through divorce. I just didn't know what to do. I wish there was somebody who had been around me then. I wish that somebody was around me when my life financially was in a mess. So maybe you need to join a group, not just for now, maybe not just for you, but for your future. And maybe you need to join a group for someone else. The last thought, he says, is motivate others to love and good works. Come alongside them. Encourage them. Find ways to cheer them on. See, because the whole thing only works when everybody's part of each other's lives in a, in a genuine way. And you can't do that with 150 people. It's finding that way to be s- smaller. Last year, when I was challenging this idea for myself, I, I didn't even become part of a group till last year. 
And last year as I went to group, and, you know, I thought it's one more night away from Beth. But as I went to that group, you know, I was challenged with some things. I was challenged to want to be a better husband. I'd come home challenged by the Lord and by others. I'd say, you know, I feel like I need to go and, and be this way at home. And, and the next week they ask you, so, were you a jerk to her? Why? Because they call you on it. Because they know, they know what you desire is to be a better father, to be a better follower of Jesus, to not just grow and learn information, but to live that out, to live out, live out our faith. So I want to challenge you that you should always be investing in someone behind you, cheering them on, someone who's not as far along in the faith, cheering them on. And you should have somebody who's a little further ahead than you all the time that's cheering you on, that's encouraging you, that's building in you. So here's, here's the last questions. Are you growing? Are you really growing in your faith? Do you feel like every day I'm following Christ the best of my ability? I'm listening for His voice. I'm learning His word. I'm, I'm growing. Are you drifting? Because maybe for you it's that question of like, wow, I didn't really think about it till this morning, but I'm not really where I should or want to be. Are you alone? Are you alone? Do you feel alone because you shouldn't? You shouldn't have to. We didn't design it that way. And the last thought is this, are you okay? Really? Are you okay, really? With Kingsway, I want 100% of our people to be involved in a group sometime. We have precept groups on Monday nights. We have small groups meeting on Wednesday nights in Simcoe, Sunday nights in Simcoe. Wednesday nights, hopefully, we're starting one in Cayuga. Uh, you know, there's, there's uh, other ones that are starting here. Marriage, uh, marriage classes where you can be a part with other couples. And a uh, bunch of these things that we want to see. And for some of you, are like, well... None of those fit me. You know, the only time that I have available is Tuesday mornings at 1 a.m. How about that? Then just write a letter. I want to start a group at Tuesday mornings at 1 a.m. We'll find somebody else who will Skype with you in their pajamas, and they will each take time to say, how you doing, really? You missed our last time together at 1 a.m. in our pajamas. But something that says, I have, uh, I know that could be taken wrong. Uh, for those of you laughing, come on, let's, let's level up here. Uh, this idea... This idea of finding a way, being intentional for you and for others. Can we pray? Father, thank you for this morning and for your word. Thank you for designing this family this way, that it's uh, meant to be uh, connected to you, but also have others uh, help us in, in this uh, walk with you. This morning, as we think about some of these things, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that whatever you've planted in people's hearts, maybe you're the one just pushing and encouraging them from the inside uh, today to be a part of it. I pray you give them courage and uh, the, the chance to, to take steps towards that. That wouldn't just be one of those moments of, I, I feel like I heard your voice, God, and did nothing about it. Thank you, for the, thank you for your incredible love for us, care for our lives. Thank you for this incredible family. I pray you bless them today. May they be a blessing to our world. In your name we pray. Amen.